the reading of the Scriptures, uh, reading Psalm 1. Invite your uh, attention and the hearing of God's Word uh, with joy and faith that God has spoken and God's Word has been kept and preserved for us in the Scriptures. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked will perish. Part of our culture uh, in America is uh, uh, the coming and goings of countless seminars on how to find success in whatever field, academia, passing tests, real estate, investing, fishing, hunting, just countless seminars on how to be successful. But on a cosmic and eschatological scale, uh, the scriptures are the key because they contain the ultimate definition of success and if you miss here, nothing else really matters. And so in our text this morning, we learn of a wise man that comes to success and eternal reward, and we also learn of his opposite, the fool who loses everything. Psalm 1, uh, in this regard, uh, is a wisdom psalm. The Hebrew word for wisdom uh, conveys the idea of skill in life, skill in living. And so it breaches this notion of uh, how to be successful uh, in navigating life, uh, not only as a journey, but as a destination. Uh, the psalm serves along with Psalm 2 as an introduction to the entire Psalter. Uh, psalm 1 deals with the individual, while Psalm 2 uh, is uh, uh, more uh, of an international scope. Uh, and the individual, of course, is confronted with the simplicity that there are uh, two types of men, two paths in life, and of course two ends. Uh, of course, one is successful and the other is not. I am always uh, struck by the simplicity of the Scripture. We sometimes think that life is very complicated, but it's really not. It's really quite simple. There's just two types of men and women, boys and girls, and two paths that they can walk. More importantly, two ends that they will come to. It's about as simple as it can be. And as a wisdom psalm, we are confronted with the reality of these two paths and two men and, of course, two destination. 
And the terms, of course, are radically important uh, because they're absolute and eternal. Here again, that braces the notion of simplicity. That the Word of God defines success, uh, it also uh, brings uh, success. An absent it, uh, a man or a woman or a boy or girl is in a terrible way. Uh, in the first three verses, uh, a wise man is blessed and comes to success and reward. And we learn about the wise man by how God looks at him. What a simple thought. The vast majority of our culture is deeply concerned about how their peers look at them, uh, about how their boss looks at them. And I, I suppose in a measure there's a place for that. But the more important reality is the simplicity of how does God look at you? And as well, the psalmist reminds us that engaged in that, it's a part and parcel of what we do, how we act. In the case of the wise man, God blesses him. And in that blessing, it means he will come to success. Uh, there's also this similar notion in uh, the introduction to the Psalter in Psalm 2. If you look at verse 12, in the final line, how blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's how you come to a blessed life. You come to a life that is imminently successful. You find refuge in the living God, in Jesus Christ, in the shadow of His wings for protection and safety in a corrupt and dangerous world. And success, of course, is also partially defined by the end of the fool. And again, the fool is defined by God and not by our culture. The fool may be incredibly intelligent, but if he loses sight of the fact that God defines success and God defines the fool, the fool, then he will find himself in a bad way. Look at the end of the psalm. But the way of the wicked will perish. Will perish. He may be smart and brilliant. He may be eminently successful as a salesman, as a people person. He may be one of the greatest engineers that God has ever gifted this earth. But if he doesn't walk upon this path, he will perish. It's interesting that the Greek word for blessed in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is used by our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, it's a wisdom concept. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a radical concept. Poverty braces the greatest of wealth of all time. And the man or a woman who is poor in spirit, who is radically humble, because he recognizes he depends upon God for everything, small and big, wide and thin, reaches the greatest of the wealth of all of Scripture, namely the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Again, 
almost two radically opposing concepts. A man or a woman who is hungry and thirsty, but God makes him full. Embraces this notion of wisdom, of life as a journey as well as life as a destination. And the blessed man also comes to success by the actions that define him first in our psalm by what he does not do. Uh, he does not walk in the counsel or take the moral advice of the ungodly. We live in a, an advice-ridden culture. Uh, there's mentors for everything. But the psalmist is warning us to be very careful about the man or the woman under whose mentorship uh, we place ourselves. Very careful about accepting the moral advice of the ungodly. He does not stand on the path of sinners. A sinner is uh, one, as you know, is who biblically misses the mark. That God sets a mark and this man misses it. And the degree by which he misses it is irrelevant. And so it reminds us how critically important the wisdom of the scriptures are. And he does not sit in the seat of the congregation of the scoffers. My, what a radical departure our church culture in America is taking. The scoffer fills our congregations, and we know it by their moral confessions. We also know they have radically departed from the Word of God. That is the path of an unwise man or woman. As is obvious, you can see a progression here. A man who walks, stands, finally sits. This is an essential. Because a wise man is careful about progression. It's a great illustration, is it not, of be very careful about letting the camel to stick his nose under your tent. If you don't chase him away, he's going to be in the tent. It's the point of progression, that wisdom is a progress and so is folly. Sometimes life is lived by degrees. We start small and we think, what's well, inconsequential? It's only one degree. But progression takes hold and one becomes 10, 10 becomes 50, and 50 becomes 100. And that is the way of the fool. Now, we think in terms of a dramatic failure. But more tires, tires go flat by slow leaks than they ever do by blowouts. The distillation is that the wise man separates himself from the wrong way. A couple of illustrations of this uh, in the scriptures, I think, that are very important. Uh, the first is a, is a man who is a Christian, uh, but he gets caught in a terrible progression. It almost costs him everything. If you have your Old Testaments, turn to me to Genesis chapter 13. About a disagreement between two men. A man and his nephew, a nephew and his uncle. We know because of the scripture that the uncle 
as a man to be followed. One ought to be very careful about a man or a woman that God marks out as successful in terms of departing. But the nephew departs. Notice Genesis 13, verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan. What he sees is a great garden. It's a radically important verb here that he lifted up his eyes. It's the same verb used in Genesis 3 of Eve. She saw a tree that was very beautiful. And she is caught. She goes in a terrible way and affects terrible ruin. Look at verses 11 and 12. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan. And now notice the progression. He makes a choice. And Lot journeyed eastward. He takes a path. Thus they separated from each other. And Abraham settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. So he sees... He journeys. And you find almost the end state. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 1. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. In other words, he's become a wise man in a terrible city. He's been exalted. He takes a seat of honor at the gate. He's a wise man. People seek his advice. So he looked. He journeyed, and then he takes his seat. He's in a bad way. Be very careful as a Christian about setting in motion a progress that may start so incredibly small. Maybe it's the progress of envy. Maybe it's the progress that you're unhappy with God. Maybe it's the progress of a wrong friend. Be careful. There's another story of progress that comes from the wisdom literature of the uh, Old Testament. Uh, book of the Proverbs, chapter 7. Uh, because the wise man is teaching uh, the young man wisdom, how to be very, very careful of all of the competitive factors at life that can steal your heart and lead you in a bad way. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter uh, 7 uh, speaks to this in verses 7 and 8. And I saw among the naive, I discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner. And he takes the way to her house. So he's standing. He takes a path and walks by the house of an adulterous woman. And then verse 13, she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him. Of course, it ends uh, in verse 22, the remarkable progression that the foolish young man takes 
Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. So he does not know that it will cost him his life, verse 23. The progression, of course, is palpable. He stands and he watches and he takes a path. And he goes and he sits with her. It's going to cost him his life. It's not just the woman, is it? Substitute whatever. Gambling. Pornography. Chemicals. Sometimes starts in a very innocent way and very small. And then it begins to control and rule because that's the way folly is. It's the progression. It's the point of wisdom. Being very careful as a Christian. Knowing. You see, there is a competitive way to the right way, and the wise man knows the subtlety of how it starts, and more critically, he knows how it ends. Because it's the Word of God that defines success and also brings it. And the wise man steers clear of wrong company and That's part of wisdom. But secondly, and positively, in verse 2, he engages the Word of God because this contains the definition of success as well as prosperity in and of itself. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The word law here is a reference to divine revelation. And the wise man takes pleasure in it. He delights in it. I would uh, confess to you that uh, uh, as a Christian, I believe taking pleasure in the Word of God is an acquired taste. The more you engage it, uh, the more your taste buds become to relish it. The more you begin to study, it becomes uh, not just... uh, Walking through a door becomes a journey in and of itself that we know has a marvelous end. A couple of examples of that acquired taste uh, from Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way? By taking heed thereto to the Word of God. That if you're young and foolish, as we all are as young people, You can acquire wisdom by taking heed to the Word of God. Verse 11, Thy word have I treasured, have I hidden in my heart and treasured that I might not sin against God. Captures and treasures the Word, takes delight in it. As the world is chasing after physical wealth, uh, uh, the young man treasures the Word of God in his heart. will keep him in good stead. Verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as all riches. Uh, We learn over and over in our culture that uh, you go to school, you learn a trade, or you begin an apprenticeship so you can make money and sock it away. There's a place for that. I don't necessarily degrade it, but there's something that's radically more important. That is, that you learn to treasure the majesty of Holy Scripture, that it might rule your heart, give you wisdom. 
There's something of this uh, picture in the book of the Proverbs that's uh, radically important. Because in the book of the Proverbs, the author personifies wisdom in a very important way. As a woman walking the streets, a beautiful woman walking the streets as the competitor to the adulteress that we just read of, Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 1. Let wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice. She goes in the ways where men and women are and boys and girls. She begins to call out, turn to me, you will find success. Verse 11, for wisdom is better than jewels and all desirable things cannot be compared with her. Something of the sum and substance of her cry that we're chasing seemingly everything in our culture. Wisdom stands before us and cries out, wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired cannot be compared to wisdom. That you could be a man or a woman or boy and girl in our culture and be impoverished, but if you possess a modicum of the wisdom of Scripture, you are indescribably rich in a way that you have no idea as to how those riches will come to you and lead you to an end that is incredible. And the wise man also meditates on the Word. He takes pleasure in it. He meditates upon it. I would confess to you that when I read the Daily Oklahoman, uh, I'm simply looking at the titles, the columns. Only if the title grabs me do I read what follows. But the title in and of itself gives me a measure of the news and I simply pass on. It's not how you can read the scriptures. You begin to read it, you begin to meditate it, think upon it, mull it over. Uh, perhaps... Uh, you go to work or go to school or uh, go to a time of leisure, it comes back to you, begins to haunt you as you meditate. Uh, this very same word is used in Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? Devising a vain thing. They are meditating on folly. And they set it into plans. And their plans are to rebel against God. They are meditators just like we are meditators. One right and one the way of the fool. So the wise man hears the instruction, hides it in his heart, reflects upon it, and does it. Now, the merism uh, in the text is so important. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Day and night. But as we know, the figure is really everything in between. Even in our night season, there ought to be something of the Scripture that uh, is in our consciousness begin to think upon. And the key, of course, is thinking on and doing the Word of God. Because the Word of God defines success. It also brings success. 
And the result is transformational and rewarding. And that's what we have in verse 3. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of waters which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. So, arboreal metaphor, simile, uh, more targeted, makes a comparison for us. We know from all of the rest of the Scripture it's present and future. We know, for example, that there is a tree in the Garden of Eden. It's also a tree in eternity. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. That's a recapitulation of the Garden of Eden. That in and of itself is remarkably an encapsulation of wisdom. What was lost in the Garden of Eden is now recovered by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, the eternal Word. A Word in and of itself that defines success and will bring it. And He showed me a river of the water of life coming from the throne of God and the Lamb, and on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing and yielding its fruit. Jeremiah alludes to Psalm 1 in verse 3. Jeremiah chapter 17. It's an important summary of wisdom because as you know, the prophet is crying out that because of folly, Babylon is going to invade and carry you off into captivity. So what's a, what's a person to do? Jeremiah is going to tell us in Jeremiah chapter 17. And verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its root by its stream. And he will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. It intensifies the metaphor in the sense that this tree has roots and roots grow. All of us know that we look at a tree, but under the ground, there's the important life of the tree that's extending its root, reaching for moisture. It's the way our soul should be reaching uh, for the streams of the water of life or the Word of God to sustain us, to keep us, that when the drought comes, we are unaffected. It's important in Jeremiah because the nation's on the brink of captivity. And how are you to act in a nation under judgment? The wise words of Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. The prophet Ezekiel also alludes uh, to Psalm 1. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 12. And by the river on its bank, on one side and on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. What's important about the collusion of both of these realities is a reminder that we should stay in the Word. And as we do so, we will image eternity. Because if there is a tree in eternity, and we can become a tree now, we are imaging 
that which is eternal, and that is wisdom. That's profound wisdom. And the Bible defines it, and the Bible also brings the success of it. That the streams in verse 3 are emblematic of the Word, telling us to stay in the Word, to not retreat. That 10,000 things vie for our attention and our affections. But wisdom is stay in the Word. Because the Word brings fruit that does not wither. And this is the wisdom, is it not, of John. John chapter 15 and verse 4, because we shift now from lowercase w to uppercase w. John chapter 15 and verse 4 captures a similar metaphor. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Living living in the eternal Word, abiding in Christ, is the definition of success that also brings it. Because those who abide in the vine bear much fruit and come to eternal blessing. There's another great uh, Old Testament allusion to Psalm 1 and verse 3 uh, found in uh, Joshua. Uh, chapter 1, in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. This is a new beginning in the life of the nation under a new Moses. The land is a picture for us of eternity. And the word success in uh, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 is a wisdom word that defines success in and of itself and also brings it. The three radicals of the Hebrew language that make up that word for prosper are found in the book of Daniel chapter 11. The context, of course, is wisdom. Uh, Daniel chapter 11, uh, verse 32, reads, uh, But the people who know God uh, shall be strong and do great things. But then notice how they are defined uh, in the following verse, in verse 33. And those who have insight. Again, the same radicals of the Hebrew language as found in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, being prosperous. These have insight among the people. They know that it's a terribly dangerous time, but they are wise and they have insight as to what is going on. Be very careful to be loyal to God. And there is a radical notion of wisdom in and of itself that loyalty to God cannot be bought and ought not to be sold. And if you are loyal to God, you will come to success. These same radicals are found in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead many to righteousness 
like the stars forever and ever. That we live in a world in which loyalty is almost a forgotten term. But the wise man knows that in good times and bad, be loyal to God is wisdom. And wisdom that means loyalty cannot be bought and sold like it's something that's cheap and be cast away like a worn-out piece of clothing. In other words, this is a life that comes to a successful conclusion because one knows and is transformed by the Word of God. This is the real key to success. I don't have any problem necessarily with going to seminars to teach you to be successful. We go to school, different manners or forms, and we try to learn a skill in living so that we can make a living. But the Bible teaches us a skill as to how to live a better life that God will prosper and bring to a successful conclusion, blessed by God, so that we might shine like the stars of the bright expanse of heaven. I'm at that age in life where there's any page in the daily newspaper that I spend more time on, it's the obituaries. Because I'm looking for wisdom. More often, there's a great catalog of worldly success if the obituary is of any length whatsoever. The man or the woman did this or thus or had this uh, company or uh, this award. On and on it goes. Eventually, I scroll down to see if the funeral's in a church, and more often than not, it's not. Maybe a successful life that came to a tragic conclusion. The man or the woman probably didn't have a clue as to the path that they were on. I will tell you, I have never in my life read an obituary that has the verse of Psalm 1, verse 3. She was like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And the leaves of her life did not wither. And whatever she did, she prospered. And she came to a righteous end, blessed by God. Wonder about that. But on their hand, why wonder? We live in an age in which we discount the wisdom of the Scripture. We ought not. Maybe someday I'll read that obituary and know that perhaps there's been a revival at least in the life of one. It's a great number of wise people in the Scripture. thought about the life of Joseph. He was carried into slavery, thrown into prison, but in the end he prospered throughout because he was a wise man and that wisdom was given to him by God. It's a great lesson about wisdom. You spend time in it, but ultimately God gifts it to you internally. It is in the Word, but it's also in the eternal Word, Jesus Christ, that becomes an internal transformational event in which the Word not only defines success, but brings it.
I thought about this in terms of a wise woman. It's a wise woman in the Old Testament. The king of Israel, Solomon, promises her that if she will join his harem, he will bestow upon her a life of leisure and wealth and luxury and security beyond her wildest dreams. What a temptation. I suspect most women would jump at the chance. I mean, think about it. To live in the house of the king with incredible wealth, everything you could ever imagine in terms of luxury, pleasures. And one of the controlling factors of all of our lives, security. Man, if you could join the harem of Solomon, you would have it all. And we know she's a wise woman because she says no. Perhaps a controlling verse in Song of Solomon, chapter 8 and verse 12. Solomon has many vineyards. I have one. And she goes to the one. She loves one man. Because wisdom tells us that Solomon began to dance as a fool in the taking of many wives. He breaks the marriage ideal of Genesis chapter 2. That for this cause... A man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. And she knows wisdom and she cleaves to the man that she loves. And her wisdom is, is that true love is not for sale. But you want to be wise. Don't sell your loyalty to God at a cheap price. You want to be wise. Don't sell your love for God at bargain basement rates because you will come to a bad end, which you know not of. What a reminder. True love for Jesus Christ ought not to be for sale. That's a wise man, woman, that the word teaches them success and also brings it. Let's look at the contrast, verses 4 to 6. A foolish man loses everything and comes to eternal ruin. He may have lived an eminently successful life by the standards of the world, but that's not the ultimate point of wisdom. The point of wisdom is that the wicked may have success in life. It's only temporary. The point of wisdom in that, particularly for the young man or woman, I see all these people that I know and they've played the fool, but they're successful. The Bible says, no, they're not. They only appear to be successful. Psalm 73, the man is almost slipping into folly because he looks at the prosperity of the wicked, and then he goes to church, and then he learns about their end, and that catches him, and it ought to catch us as we hear the sermon. We meditate upon it, and then we know wisdom. Because wisdom is that those who are successful in life who are not successful in the Word of God, in due time, their foot will slip. Like the wise man, the foolish man is defined by what he does. Verse 4, the wicked are not so.
He lives a life in contrast to the wise man. He walks, he stands, and he sits with folly. The simile, much like there was a simile defining the wise man, there was a simile that defines the man who engages folly. Defines him as chaff. In the winnowing of grain, husks were blown away by the wind, meaning that he will come to nothing. He will be separated out. The threshing floors, they would toss the grain, the kernels would be left, and the chaff would be blown away by the wind. That is the man who perhaps is imminently successful. His pedigree in the obituary section of the Daily Oklahoman is long and distinguished. And many may attend his funeral service. But if he knows not the Lord Jesus Christ, the word lowercase and the word uppercase, judgment will blow him away and he will come to nothing. It's like the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 12, and the winnowing fork is in his hands and he will gather his wheat, but he will burn up the chaff. It's a life that comes to ruin because it was absent. The Word of God, lowercase and uppercase. And you and I know from Psalm 1 that the Word defines success, not the world. And the Word of God also brings success. Kidner in his commentary in Psalm 1 describes him as a man of straw that would be blown away like straw in the wind point of wisdom is that there is a wind that's going to come, sift our lives. And that's why we hide the Word of God in our hearts. And that's why we take refuge under the eternal Word, Jesus Christ. It's an eternal place of safety. The conclusion is that He will not arise or come through the judgment or take His seat in the assembly of the righteous. He rejected the Word of God in His life, so the Word of God will reject Him in eternity. That's the end state. The journey that was taken also has a destination. We just don't think in those terms in America. We think only of the journey. It's a destination that's critical. How you start determines how you will end. The final verse is a summary of the entire matter. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows. The Hebrew text is literally a participle, knowing. The Lord's knowing of the way of the righteous. It's much more than cognition. It speaks to intimacy and personal engagement. You and I know lots of facts, but this is a personal encounter. It's something of the reality of John chapter 10 and verse 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. It's more than cognition. It's the engagement of an intense personal encounter that the Savior embraces us and we embrace Him. And that's wisdom. The Bible defines it that way. and It brings its own success. The direct object is the way of righteousness. I'm not 
unmindful of the fact that as Christians, sometimes we feel neglected. Sometimes we may feel that life is not working out. We may feel something akin to failure. But God knows you if you're a Christian. And his definition of success is the only thing that really matters. I know my own, and my own know me. And the wise man continues in the way of God. The word may have a connotation of a journey, and the journey is wisdom, and God will bless it. The destination is eternal success. In contrast, the way of the wicked will perish. It may be a life, again, of profound success all along the way. All types of letters after his name or her name. All types of achievements. All types of boards. I think in America, we have a hall of fame for everything. And this man or woman, perhaps, is... Uh, been inducted into numerous halls of fame. But if he or she knows not the word of God, lowercase and uppercase, those things will not matter in eternity. He or she will perish. That's wisdom. It will not end well regardless of the journey for wisdom embraces destination. Two, two types of men, two paths and two ends. You and I now know wisdom, the definition of success, the word of God lowercase and the word of God uppercase, Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God. You go there. You may never be inducted into a hall of fame, but you will come to unimaginable success because that's what Lady Wisdom promises us. Embrace her. Dance with her. Hold her near. And she will never let you go. And you will enter the house of God and your table will be full, and your cup will run over. That God's word defines success, and his word's the provision for it. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. The eternal word of God in Jesus Christ is the only haven of safety in a world that one day will embrace eternal judgment. If you're a person that maybe perhaps you are a Christian and you're wanting of success in life, this is real success. Follow her, and she will lead you to an end state of absolute eternal success. And may God bless your journey for his destination. It's the greatest of all ends. And may his word pursue you as much as you pursue it for the glory of God. May our hearts know wisdom, lowercase and uppercase, in light of the eternal promises 
of the scriptures.